morning, everyone. I'm Charlie Fink, Forbes tech columnist. It's November 6, 2020. Welcome to This Week in XR podcast. Uh, my co-host, Ted Shilowitz, uh, is on the line along with my friend, Rory Duboff, is head of strategy and innovation for Accenture. Welcome, Rory, and thanks for joining us on this very auspicious occasion. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy so, Friday. So who isn't glued to CNN? <laughs> it has been a shocking thing for me, Charlie. Like, you know, I would, I would say I'm an I'm a avid TV watcher. I watch a lot of TV. Uh, but this is literally like a real-life movie playing out in real time with all the twists and turns and, and the graphics. And, and like, you know, I, I think I, I told my wife, I think I've seen more of John King in the last four yeah. days than I've seen in my, of my wife. Like, there's definitely something going on here. Look, I know? mean, there is no question that Donald Trump is a talented TV host. And if he chooses to stay in the arena after he is pried out of the White House, uh, I am sure he will continue to provide the drunk uncle greatest hits of his administration yeah. and his odd positions with his followers that 70 million of them, I don't even know what they want. I've learned nothing in the past four years. <laughs> I, was, I was making a very crude joke that I will be, um, I, I, will, I will not use all the verbalizations, but when this started four years ago and there was the grab them by the blank moment, yep. I feel like today, four years later, America grabbed him by the blank and <laughs> shook him really fucking hard. Sorry for that. Um, yeah, I mean, he went down in Georgia uh, and Arizona, and um, you know that's right where he lives. It makes the map look very differently, right? It, it doesn't make us all look like we're clinging to the coasts. Right. And now the more serious question is, how do we start the, the, the repair? How do we start to have valid conversations with people that have different political views than ours, that have different lifestyles than ours, that, you know, can we start to get back to logical discourse rather than completely illogical camping? And it will yeah. be really interesting to see if Biden- uh, Again, I wouldn't, that I wouldn't make this another false equivalence of can we get back? You have one party in the center, despite the best efforts of many of its members to pull it to the left. It is very much a centrist party. Absolutely. You have another party that's going far to the right and is controlled by its far right element and is huge. The only person who got punished for being a wing nut last night was Donald Trump. All the rest of them are still in the Senate. They grew their position in Congress. So this was a repudiation of him as a talk show host. It was not a repudiation of any of his positions or any of Mitch McConnell's extremism or obstructionism. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So I think we're gonna go back to, so we're, we're rewinding to 2016. Instead of, uh, you know, the you know, athletic young black guy, we've got the, you know, old trundling, I've done this before, I've seen this movie before, I know everybody, there's not a person in Washington, D.C. who doesn't love me, come on, gang, let's just agree to something. And, you know, they're going to do to him what they did to Obama, which is to move the goalpost every time he gets ready to take his shot. Yeah, I guess as an optimist, I just hope that, you know, I have a lot of friends that have different political views, right, and, and different societal views, and I like to have 
real debate with them mm -hmm. and discussion as opposed to this polarized like no you know you're you're completely wrong you don't have a valid but, opinion but we're want, not, we want we're that not even arguing about back. their yep. there's compromises to be had between these positions you're mm -hmm. not talking to regular republicans you're <laughs> just talking to people who are like conservative democrats or what republicans used to be in the 70s right and i kind of want that to come back i'm just hoping that maybe it comes back anyway yeah. well i mean it was there was once upon a time where there were, were um as i said equivalence was appropriate and each side had its fringes, but yeah. it's, it's way out of balance now. And uh, I don't know, hopefully it's a step back, but let's get to tech. <laughs> Rory, it's great to see you. It's so funny. I used to live in New York. We used to be together in the real all the frickin' time. Uh, I used to see you and Andrew everywhere I went and I'm in quarantine in California and you are in? I'm, I, now I'm in Connecticut, out, outside of New York for a little bit, yeah. So how, how are you enjoying remote work? Ah, uh, you know, I, I love it. You know, I'm one of those people who's just as happy to be working on a computer, uh, socializing virtually, connecting virtually, um, and you get, you get really used to it. Eventually, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be nice to return to, to normalcy, but it's also nice to be outside of the city and just explore nature again and appreciate. What, what, what projects were you working on and, and how are they continuing? Bef like you mean before the sort of COVID era started? Yeah, like back in March, you know, you have yeah. a busy office yeah. at Accenture Innovation. You guys are on the cutting edge of, of everything with Fortune yeah. 500 companies. So I'm curious just where you were in your yeah. process and how you all managed to go forward. I think some of the projects um, were put on hold. I think it was interesting. Just about that time, there was this very big focus. A lot of companies were really interested in their innovation centers and their innovation hubs. And, you know, even Accenture is moving into this massive new space in Hudson Yards and a lot of planning around what that space will look like. And then suddenly, like, all these physical spaces became kind of you know, moot or just like on hold, right? So right. I think the planning, it was, we were at that point where the physical and digital was becoming so interesting to discover in retail. And, and yep. not that we won't go back there, but we definitely took like a huge turn to just virtual. So we moved everything to suddenly focusing on with all the clients, like virtual events and virtual education and everything. I mean, it, it, it was funny the first two or three months I realized, or even the first month when people were saying virtual, I got really excited. Uh, wow, they're really embracing virtual reality. And then you realize they just mean like remote, yeah. remote communication. They mean Zoom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I'm, curious, what I'm curious about on the, on the virtual events side, from your perspective, is the economic side. Um, what I've noticed is that there are plenty of people willing to join virtual events. There are very few people willing to pay for them. There are very few people willing to, you know, like when, when we go to trade shows, we have hotel expenses, we have airplane expenses, and we have conference expenses. And we are happy to pay for them, or our companies are happy to pay for them. Now that it's just on our own to click and say accept and pay, are you starting to study that and see, you know, how we tackle that problem? I think that's a huge challenge. Um, a lot of the big, you know, the big conferences from South by to Con to Mobile World Congress CES, they're all trying to figure that out. Um, yeah. Some of them better than others, but I think it's going to be a huge challenge because those were all based so much on in-person interaction. And I think 
you know, most people, when you think about digital content and when it first came online and, you know, suddenly you could read the newspaper for free and it was like, wow, what's going to happen to newspapers? And then advertising came in and there's a subscription based model, but there's still people who are like, I'm not like paying to read, you know, the Wall Street Journal. I'm just going to wait for it. So that's the same challenge we're going to have with conferences. I think there'll be changes and really premium content will be uh, monetized, but it's going to, I don't know if all those, all those big conferences will survive. Yeah. I agree with you about the ad model. I think yeah. it's going to become an ad supported business that high end conferences with a lot of interest will attract advertisers in the same way that they use it at YouTube as a vehicle and, and all, you know, if you've got an audience, you can generate income via an ad model if you have a big enough audience. So I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. But five to 10 years from now, it'll change again because VR will have a role. Right. And VR is the only way you're going to replicate, you know, the kind of presence that you felt when you were at CES or Mobile World Congress, right? That was the extraordinary thing about it. And that created all these serendipitous situations and introductions that kind of, for me, see, you know, CES kind of level set the whole year in that respect. Um, but like I told you, like, and I, you and I do this a lot. So we have this sort of sense of the future because we socialize in VR. Like you and yeah. I played golf last week, right? We do yeah. this. And it and, works. And it and works. It works. Yeah. And it's yeah. not perfect, but it works. And it's completely different than this kind of interaction, which is fine yeah. and good. And this absolutely works. But in a spatial environment, as we extrapolate, you know, five, six, seven years and four or five full cycles of technology, how good these devices are going to get, there is absolutely going to be a business and a worldwide phenomenon of virtual conferences and virtual gatherings, no doubt. And I think that's happening right in sports, right? The ability to for sports um, starting to yeah. be able to access remotely through virtual. I, I think using VR, we will have extraordinary experiences as spectators, yeah. uh, and and also be able to experience it socially, which is also important. And often today, I don't experience it socially. I experience it by myself cocooned in my house. So I have a strong desire not only to play golf with Ted, but to get together with Ted and other friends like you and, you know, be able to experience something like that. So wouldn't it have been great if we were having these conversations about CNN while we were together at VR watching CNN? So right. those are not our habits yet. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that's going to change. Of course, I, I, we all do. Obviously, we are well, uh, evangelists, and, and as Ted said, optimists. But let's let me bring up a tech topic that I really uh, thought about a lot over the past week, which was the role of Facebook and Twitter in the election mm. and what they did to moderate it. Um, Lots has been written. There was cover story of the Times yesterday about it. Um, what do you think, Rory? Did it work? Was it good? How did they pull this off? Yeah, you know, I think that these companies are in such an interesting situation because on one hand, they're sort of trying to shepherd in this whole new reality we focus on, right? Virtual reality, new realities, all positive. But on the other hand, the criticism is our current reality they're kind of not focusing enough on, right? In terms of, is that an accurate, um, accurate representation of, of reality? So I think those initiatives to try and clarify, I mean, it's gonna get more and more complicated with deep fakes and, and as we, digital media, but to help people realize where there's a line between truth 
and falsehood and you know accuracy and so those the the movement towards trying to do that i i think is a good thing i think we're going to need more of it and it's going to be such a debate of course is this censorship or not and how do we you know what is the scientific way you do this that feels objective but to just completely ignore it and abandon it with all the new technologies we have that's not a that's not a solution either yeah I, I, can you can you describe? I, I'm interested. Want to get your views, but just describe for people who are listening, in case they didn't know what Facebook and Twitter did on, on, over the past few days while the counting was going on. Yeah. To to regulate uh, people's behavior. Yeah, that's what I was going to comment on. I, I actually think it's sort of fascinating to study this again from a from an optimistic view of people that are humans trying right now, trying their best might be a stretch but they are definitely or at least parts of those employees that are working in parts of that management and even the executive level right, well these the are smart well-educated people who who are, are trying to uh, sincerely uh, you know help the country and i was frankly surprised at how powerful and effective it was yeah and i, and I think more than anything they're wrestling with it they they have an awareness that they have a responsibility and that that they can't just take this hands-off approach well it's a platform and we take no responsibility for the content on it i think they're learning their lesson and i think they're learning it hard i'll, I'll tell you what was really striking to me the other day in our you know discussions about the watching the broadcast stuff ad nauseum is when trump went on and started talking you know when he did that last sort of address from the white house and started talking about the 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 voter inconsistency and and what all the networks did and you have to give them credit all of the networks NBC, cbs nbc yeah. and then their their cable versions msnbc and yeah. cbs and uh, cbs cnn they all to a man to a woman all essentially cut away they basically said I thought there is no evidence for this it's clear there's no evidence for this and therefore we're not going to allow it to to live and on we're our done earth. with providing a platform for lunacy yeah. And I think the social platforms as babes in the woods compared to their brethren in the broadcast world that have lived for 80, 90 years are learning from that model good behavior. That was good behavior on the on the side of the networks to say, you know what? No, you can't just have a voice here. If you're going to lie, we're not going to allow it to be heard. And so I think Facebook and Twitter and others are learning from that. I think they're so getting the New York Times point of view, uh, you know, was that Facebook and Twitter succeeded in suppressing uh, propaganda and fake news by turning off everything that is good about their service. <laughs> exactly, and that's the wrestling, that's the challenge, right? Is um, the, the my value wife of has a relative. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. My wife has a relative that I would can only describe as a internet troll. And, and of course they go at it uh, endlessly. And his complaints last night were that no one was seeing his posts that he would make a post and be talking to a friend who's looking at his Facebook feed and it's literally not there. So they sandboxed millions of trolls who were sitting there going, nah. and in fact, their posts were just showing up on their own feed. Right. Fascinating. Um, so, so that was kind of amazing. Well, uh, that was a great introduction, guys. Let's, let's get to the tech news this week because um, some interesting stuff worth talking about, I think. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is 
you know, sort of some good news and some kind of interesting news. Uh, first, the good news, VR chat, 24,000 concurrent users. I mean, you've got to have about 24 million users to have 24,000 of them be simultaneous, unless it's a music event with a big star. I continue to be proud of VR chat. They're scrappy. They were a bunch of young kids living in a, in a, literally living in a trailer like Ready Player One a couple years ago. They're cool, they're fun, they're authentic. And seeing them succeed, especially against the forces, the big forces, mm. and continue to garner an audience and continue to hold yep. that, that viral, like the real deal audience. Yep. Is, they, like they're going to be a fat acquisition target for Oculus, yeah. no doubt. Uh, Rory, are you a fan of VR chat? Um, you know, I've tried VR chat. I, it's been okay. I mean, it's a little bit like I, I use alt space more. I'll be be honest. You know, in terms of maybe this, the uh, the level. But what I love, to your point, is that you feel like you know maybe a few years ago there was this explosion in VR content creators and all this stuff coming out, and and then some of them kind of had to shut down because of economics. But right now there's like an explosion in VR communities, like collaborative workspaces, you know, chat rooms. If it's you really want free exciting. VR, that's where the free VR is. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So it's, um, you know, I'll be interested to see what happened, but seeing that, I was like, oh, I should check it out. It's been a while since I've been, I've looked at that one. Um, and, you know, yeah, I should see where, where their platforms evolved. There, there are lots of grown-ups predominantly listening to this. And uh, I think everybody is thinking, yeah, VR chat isn't that filled with 12-year-olds. Yes. And the answer is, yes, it is. Rec Room is just as bad. Yeah. However, those 12-year-olds will soon be 18-year-olds. Yes. And they will be very, very valuable new consumers yes. uh, forming new habits. So uh, I, I don't take it lightly, although at first I did because I thought it was a place people went to try on you know, a Winnie the Pooh avatar but you know when you give yourself over to it trying on lots of avatars uh with your friends is is actually fun yeah well there's even reference, for grown-ups there's a reference um, to like bulletin boards in the 80s into the beginning yes. chat rooms in the 90s and you're like that's interesting but that's not my kind of people to then flash forward to today and everybody is on some sort of social connectivity right? That started with these fringe groups, with these yep. like crazy bulletin boards and like right. people posting weird things. And there was weird stuff going on back then. There's still weird stuff going on today, but it completely mainstreamed. And I think Charlie, you and I believe, and I imagine Maura, you believe as well. We're kind of at that weird, eerie time that's starting to find its trajectory into the mainstream. And it's, you know, it's starting to look like it's going to be a mainstream thing, all of these, all of these things. And as they, as they evolve. Good, good segue. PlayStation VR CEO Jim Ryan uh, gave the Washington Post an interview that was, I thought was very revealing, and we've linked to it from the column this week. Uh, as everybody probably knows, PlayStation VR is the most popular consumer VR platform, uh, and they continue to grow faster than Oculus. I think Sony is very good at supply chain and keeping products uh, available uh, and you know, they have 150 million, um, you know, PS4, PS5s out there that are all VR capable. Yet Ryan played down VR. He said 2021 is not VR's year. Yeah, VR is going to be important, but we're in the console game business. Um, you know, it was not exactly the kind of stirring Mark Zuckerberg uh, video about immersive media. 
Yeah, that, that's a classic innovator's dilemma thing, right? You have a very large company, and I'm a big fan of Sony, what they've done with the PS4 and evolving it to PS5 and building mass market. I'm, I'm not a tremendous fan of the PlayStation VR. I think any hardcore enthusiast is not a tremendous fan of PlayStation VR. It's very limiting. It's very crude. Uh, the controllers don't work very well. It's, it's just, you know, and it's tethered. It's just not a great experience, right? But to Sony's credit, because of that, like, install base, they have the numbers, right? Even though it's an inferior experience and an inferior product, they have the numbers. So I think what Sony is sort of doing and telegraphing is when we actually have something that could be validly to compete with real enthusiasts, we're gonna come back and we're gonna tell you what we're doing. Right now, all we need to do is sort of downplay it because we know that we don't have the real VR people. We just have people that bought the thing, that have used it a few times, and they kind of like, yeah, it's okay, but it's not great. Whereas people that own a Quest now are virally excited about their device, yeah. right? And they're using it, albeit smaller numbers, but much more important numbers. So I think- well, traffic, traffic and sales have spiked in the Oculus store with the introduction of the Quest 2. I think people are using VR more because the Quest 2 is better. There's excitement around a new product. And I think people are revisiting old things now with a high resolution headset. Uh, where you can read things. Uh, so time is coming to an end, my friends. One last topic I wanna bring up is Pokemon Go is about to take over um, Grand Theft Auto V as the most lucrative intellectual property enterprise of all time. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. And they're building more and more AR into it. I am not a Pokemon Go fan, but they have all over these world, all, all over these all over the world, these events that attract fifty, a hundred thousand people to a park, and you know they geek out on Pokemon. Um, so pretty amazing. The franchise still number two in the app stores. Uh, and it just continues to dominate mobile entertainment. And, and you uh, want to talk about the success of an ad-based model, right? They learned from Google how to monetize this thing and didn't charge people on the front end. And essentially, it became an ad platform. It became a place, you know, that people would, would monetize via, via advertising and extrapolate that to, like you said, now getting ready to topple Grand Theft Auto, which no one thought would ever be toppled as, as the largest revenue generating piece of, you know, intellectual entertainment IP ever created. Now. And and the thing I love, of course, about um, Grand Theft Auto V is that it's a virtual world sandbox. It doesn't have its own economy. It doesn't have the right kinds of multiplayer, um, but it can and it will. The, the, the AR cloud that they're getting their users to help co-create with them, I think is, is a phenomenal, um, huge opportunity. And I also think when you go back to your comment about Sony and where they're at and, you know, um, people buying, like Pokemon Go is so successful, obviously, because they're tapping into a phone, a device everybody already has, right? Great the point. challenge the VR market will always have is, you know, will somebody buy a device just for VR alone? Um, and that's why things like glasses and for a while phones are still going to be easier to, to, to sort of reach a mass market through because they're, they're multi-purpose. Um, eventually we'll see how they all come together, the devices, but yeah. Yeah, and we're just in that immature state, right? We're in this next sort of 20 to 2025 
Sony will have a valid offering that will be yep. competitive and maybe better than Oculus because they have, they have more resources. They have ways to attack it better and they're a more mature company. Well, Ocul right? o Oculus slash Facebook needs a well-funded competitor. Yes. Um, exactly. Because yeah. you know, right now they are building a closed environment sort of with a business model that feels a lot like the Facebook platform and it's freaking people out. Yeah. So there needs to be an alternative. I don't, by the way, people voluntarily entered the Facebook ecosystem, but it, it, you miss out on a lot of stuff today if you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that it's wrong for Oculus to do that. But from their point of view, you kind of understand it because they, they want to integrate everything together so that it can't be broken apart. Uh, by the way, I don't think that that's um, negative from their point of view, from Facebook's point of view, but mm -hmm. from looking at it from the outside, of course, well, maybe breaking them apart would be exactly what needs to be done in, in order to regulate it and, and in order to get control of the mind control that we all have willingly submitted to. So, you know, one man, however altruistic, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg has any negative motives um, but one man should not have that much power. That's crazy. And no one would have agreed to that up front, no matter how much social media has enhanced our lives. So anyway, great note to finish on you guys. Rory, great to see you. Yeah. And we will look forward to being with you again in the real. Ted, as always, um, see you in ProPut. And yes. uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Okay, cheers. Bye. Bye.